Hey guys, if you like listening to us, um, you can follow us on Twitter or email us. Follow us on Twitter at writer, W-R-T-R, bagel, B-A-G-E-L, basket, B-S-K-T, on Twitter, or email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to do. Submit fan art. Submit a logo. Do anything, because we want to hear from you. And if you have show suggestions, email them. Hey, who feels like watching The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension for this summer flopbuster? Boo! Hiss! Get off the stage! Hey. Hey now. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean, because no matter where you go, there you are. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension is in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. Boo! Oh, come on, guys! <laughs> Tear me apart, Lisa! You want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. Sorry, Jeff. You lose. It Professor Plum. I said Plum. The men you seek think you are dead, Kimosabe. We're going to pass to the start of the Vernula Convergenator. If he puts a car in fifth gear, he can jumpstart the whole thing. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kurland, and we continue Summer Flopbusters with someone who has actually been requested. Like, a lot of people were excited to have this, yeah, to have this person on the podcast to do a Summer Flopbuster. And my guest co-host this week is... The co-host of the wonderful Jukebox Zeros podcast. And no, it's not Pat Barry. <laughs> Who is it? Hi, it's me, the other guy. Introduce yourself, man. I'm Lee Martin. I'm the co-host of Jukebox Zeros with the Bagel Basket. Did you just say and uh, part of the writer's bagel basket? I'm not sure what I said. I'm sitting in the basket for the bagels. So, Lee, this is your first time watching The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across yes, the Yes, yes it is. And because you started on your podcast doing, uh, reading little facts about, you know, the albums you do, I did for Summer Flopbusters little backstories, and you are going to read this one. I feel as though there's an, ul- an ulterior motive to me being on now. It, it's just because I love your dulcet tones. <laughs> My dulcet tones. If you want, I can put music behind it like <laughs> you do with yours. I don't normally do it, but if you give me one of your bands that you like, I can put it <laughs> underneath it so it's exactly like Jukebox Heroes. Uh, that's cool. Follow them on the Facebook and Twitter. This is true, by the way. Scott gave me like a whole blurb to read on an iPad right here. <clears throat> Ever wonder what... Come on, him. seriously. <laughs> All right. Ever wonder what Pee-wee's Playhouse would be like if it was directed by David Lynch? Well, that's the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th dimension. That's what that feels like. Coming out in August of 1984, Buckaroo Banzai had the misfortune of being released the same summer as Ghostbusters, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, Star Trek III The Search for Spock, Purple Rain, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's some pretty bad timing. And what was supposed to be the first film in a planned series, too, Banzai was released to a very indifferent crowd. Who would have thought that a film about a rock star, brain surgeon, physicist, race car driver, and comic book icon would tank at the box office? Director W.D. 
Richter, 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 based the film off of old comics like Doc Savage and serial matinee flicks like Flash Gordon and The Lone Ranger. Sadly, in 1984, no one cared about comic book movies anymore. Yeah, and they never would again. <laughs> and MGM had no idea how to market the film. Not even with stars like Peter Weller, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd, Clancy Brown, Ellen Barkin, and Vincent Chiavelli could bring in a crowd. And Yakov Smirnoff, let's not forget him. And Dan Hedaya. Yep. Buckaroo Banzai came and left the box office over a matter of weeks. However, the film became a huge cult hit and the favorite film of many known celebrities like Kevin Smith and Ernest Klein. Not to mention being the favorite of pretentious film critic and podcaster Scott Kurland from, Scur- from Kurland on Film and the overrated Writer's Bagel Basket. But what went wrong? For starters, the film was in pre-production for two years because Richter couldn't get the look right. Uh, Richter also wanted a dark look, like Blade Runner, and hired uh, Jordan Cronenweth, the man who filmed Blade Runner, only to have the film's producers fire him, and he was replaced by Fred J. Conencamp, the DP behind the Bad News Bears in Breaking Training and Fun with Dick and Jane, the original bad movie, not the early 2000s bad movie. The film just couldn't find an audience, but on At the Movies with Siskel and Ebert, Gene Siskel said that, although it's doing bad now, I predict that this will find a huge cult status. And it did! So, you want to talk about this film? Yeah, let's do it. This is, as uh, you said, as you insulted me, and said these horrible things that you wrote yourself, <laughs> that I totally didn't write to make a joke, but yes, overrated, pretentious film critic, uh, Scott Kurland does love this film. This is one of my favorite films of all time, and it is Bananas. I had not seen this film until today, but... Uh... I knew it was one of those kind of films where, uh, like, if you talk to any film student or anyone who's, like, fancies themselves a cinephile or anything like that, it'd just be a case of, like, oh, of course, of course, Buckaroo Banzai, kind of thing. In the same breath that someone would be like, oh, of course, Pulp Fiction, or of course, Eraserhead, kind of thing like that. Well, I saw this when I was seven years old on H- uh, Cinemax, or hmm. HBO, one of those. And I was like, this movie is great. Like, this movie, they marketed it wrong. This was aimed for, you know, teenagers and 20-somethings. And if they just fixed their trailer a little bit and aimed it towards kids, I feel like this would have done so much better. This definitely seems like it would have been one of those films that would have just, you know, done complete gangbusters on, like, you know, late late night HBO or Cinemax or something like that. Yeah, I think this was the movie that... um, my dad's like, oh, you'll totally like this movie. It's going to be on this channel at, at this time. And then he prefaced it by saying, but don't turn on the channel to these channels. because <laughs> Why? What's on those channels? Nothing. Nothing is on. What's the most boring thing you can think of, child? Ross Perot? Th- that. That's on the channels. Not another, uh, not another thing. Definitely not softcore cable pornography. <laughs> not naked people doing naked things. Nakedly. So, why don't you give us a quick synopsis about what Buckaroo Banzai is, and then we'll just talk about the insanity that is this movie. You know what, Scott? I'm not sure if I can, because, like, I, we just finished, we just wrapped up the movie a couple minutes ago, and I'm still pretty baffled about the whole plot of the whole thing. But it opens like there's an experiment going on in the desert, and uh, 
the uh, the physicist Buckaroo Banzai, who, as the movie points out, is the son of an American woman and a Japanese man. And you never see his parents in the extended cut. It's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is his mom, and the guy who plays the Shredder is his dad. Oh, so that one uh, Japanese scientist wasn't his dad? No, it's his like re- it's like his uncle or his mentor, grandfather. Ah, okay. No, no Ever one. Seen Call me by your name. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> No American names their child Buckaroo, and no, ja- I, well, I mean, I can't speak to that. It just seems very unlikely that any Japanese person has the surname Banzai. Well, it's like it's like having the surname Eureka or Wow. Well, the, the names you were coming up with were killing me. Oh, this is our son Buckaroo Banzai, and here's his brother uh, Dungaree Katsu. <laughs> we're, uh, we're expecting another child soon. We're gonna name him like I don't know. Uh, Hot Dog Shanghai. And That's Chinese, I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? And his sister... I've completely ruined the... I've completely ruined the, the, the thematic. And his sister, Miniskirt Dim Sum. Miniskirts are inherently American? Yeah. <laughs> okay, why not? <laughs> Minimal. But, but anyway, um, it starts out like in the desert, like... And well, physicist Buckaroo Banzai is part of a big experiment. But he's not there yet. He, he's not. He he's he wasn't in the car. He, no, he's in surgery with Jeff Goldblum. They're doing brain surgery because he's also a neurosurgeon. Oh, for some reason I thought he was in the car. That no, because the... everyone was like, "Where's Buckaroo? Where's Buckaroo?" And then he shows up, and then he gets in the car. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. I, See, I'm already having a hard time sticking to the details. That's how completely bananas this film can get. Do you want to tag me in? Uh, yeah, we'll just like. Why don't you just start going? And I'll like pepper in every. Well, song. I'll just do the quick thing. The so basically, he discovers a uh, road map to this interdimension, the eighth dimension, where it exists between time and space. And from there, these evil red aliens, led by John Lithgow, want to head back to their planet 10 to to destroy this race of black aliens and he has to stop them and that's basically the movie and there's all kinds of other details that occur throughout the like, film like the twin of his dead wife shows up and that's Ellen Barkin this really is like if David Lynch did Pee-wee's Playhouse if you think about it because he's always wearing like a weird suit bow tie hybrid there is a woman in a pink dress. Someone is dressed like a cowboy. Uh, there is there is a kindly black man whose son is obsessed with cartoons. Like it's it's David Lynch's Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, this was this was a real head trip of a movie. Oh hi, come on in. Pull yourself up a chair with cherry. And you kept commenting how Ellen Barkin looked like um looked like Cindy Lauper. Like the moment. I mean, she... she certainly did. Like when they first introduce her in the uh, in the rock club. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai is in a rock band as well, by the way. Yeah, it's he's called... a physicist and a brain surgeon and the guitarist of a rock band. It's called Buckaroo Banzai and the Hong Kong Cavalier. <laughs> and you kept saying, like, we kept coming up with different, you know, band names with the and in it. So the first one you said was, "Look, it's Huey Lewis and the News." <laughs> and then I was like, "Look, it's John Cavity and the Beaver Brown Band." Well, it's just because, like, the moment that from the moment you see them in their little band digs, 
They look like Huey Lewis in the news, right on down to, like, the ridiculous saxophone and the one tune that we get to see them play, which sounds, like, legit, like a Huey Lewis in the news song, based around this one little tune that just goes... David Johansson playing two saxophones. <laughs> David Johansson, Buster Poindexter, who was in Scrooged, which we talked about on the Bagel Basket, but he's in this in an uncredited cameo, and uh, Peter Weller plays the flugelhorn <laughs> because out of nowhere it's just in, like in addition to guitar, <laughs> like he takes a ripping guitar solo and then all of a sudden I'm not done yet. <laughs> So he goes from being Jack Black from School of Rock to being, like, Chuck Mangione. (laughs) But, yeah, he comes across Ellen Barkin in the club, who not only snuck a big plug of whiskey in, but also a gun. (laughs) How, yeah, like, this was a time... They they made it seem like these guys are, are like, U2, or, like, this really famous Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band type of band. But they're playing at, like, a shitty nightclub. Yeah, that club they were playing at was pretty dingy. And the guy who owns the club is like, I don't know how you do things in your big fancy schman city, but here we have standards and practices. Yeah, I mean, if they were, like, legitimately a huge rock band, they would just completely pass over, because they were playing in, like, a very, like, this is the sticks town kind of thing like that. And... U2's not going to play there. They're going to play, like, you know, the amphitheater. Well, this felt like a small-budget movie, to say the least, because, like, everything felt like someone making a student film. Mm. Someone like, like oh, man, we, we could only get this hotel lobby for 20 minutes to record in, or we can only, we can't get, like, a real stadium, but we can get this shitty nightclub. Not so small budget, though, that they couldn't get uh, Jeff Goldblum, John Lithgow, and Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, and Peter Weller, RoboCop. Oh yeah, that was like was Pete, Pete, I guess that was coming after RoboCop. Yeah, this was after RoboCop, or mm. same time as RoboCop. Um, and <laughs> I love my favorite. My favorite moment is when he just goes, "Hold on, stop the music! Stop the music! Is someone not having a good time?" <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, is someone out there not having a good time? Somebody crying out there in the darkness. Somebody crying. I'm sorry. Um, I'm I'm legit gonna do that the next time my band has a gig. <laughs> Stop the music. <laughs> do you want me to, to show up <laughs> as Penny Pretty? <laughs> or I totally want to wear Pinky Carruthers. Like the names, so the band, the the Hong Kong Cavalier, they're not just a band, but they also solve crimes and and do science together. So they're it, they're a Hanna Barbera cartoon band, pretty much. The and, only the only thing that's missing is a big cartoon shark on the drums. <laughs> what was that? Jabberwocky? Was that the name? That was Jabberjaw. Jabberjaw, same thing. That, uh, that's not the same thing at all. Shh, <laughs> quiet. Shh, my gentle boy. Um. Wh- 
and now Lee is asleep. Can you name all of the Hong Kong Cavalier? Um, oh, jeez. Um, I can name every single one. I'll, I'll try to name as many as I can. Okay. Uh, there was, like, the only one I remember, like, vividly is Clancy Brown was uh, Rawhide. And you had to keep reminding me that he plays keyboard, not bass. <laughs> yeah. There was David Johansson as the saxophone he's guy. He's not part of the Hong Kong Cavalier. The no? He's not part of the main group. Okay. Um, there was uh, Perfect Tommy. Yeah. I forget what he plays. He plays lead guitar. Um, was, uh, Re- was Reno part of it, too? Reno was on bass. Um, Pinky Carruthers. Pinky Carruthers. Was on a, a rhythm guitar. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, like, hangs with them, but I don't think he was in the band. Well, remember, he, they were having him learn the piano? Oh, right, right. Because he then was, I guess they were going to do... New Jersey. Yeah, he was going to do a real Bruce Springsteen and E Street band and put, uh, uh, Rawhide on the organ and put Goldblum on the piano. <laughs> oh, man. So does that make, um, does that make Ellen Barkin Patty Scalfa? I don't know. Does she, uh... I guess we wouldn't know for sure unless she ends up joining the band later. Yeah, well, then then you have to make you have to make Jeff Goldblum Nils Lofgren and put him on the slide guitar. <laughs> Would that be so bad though? <laughs> I wonder if Jeff Goldblum has like that Nils Lofgren like the yeah. we sing together <laughs> that yeah. that Neil Young. Yeah. I love Nils. Jeff Lofgren. Goldblum is Nils Lofgren, or as we say it on my podcast, Nils Lofgren. <laughs> Stop. Plugging your, can we just have a, can we just talk for a second? Can you not that plug your podcast? Literally the first time I plugged my. No, podcast. no, can you not plug your podcast? You're I really embarrassing just, me in front stop, of. Stop, 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 hectoring me. No, no, You're hectoring can me. Can you just? You not, always, just, you always do can this. Can you just stop? <laughs> and we're anyway. back. I love how every time you've been on, we we've done that same joke and it's still funny. Um, no. but. Did, my dad, for the longest time, he forgot your name was Lee in high school. He's like, oh, your friend Nils is here. <laughs> Is that true? Yes. Oh my god. I love that. <laughs> um this is uh, this Next is Next only... time you see my dad you should be like just so you know John, my real name is Nils. And he'll be like I knew it. Friend the, of the podcast the... John Carlin who has been on before. Unrelated but for the longest time uh the uh guitarist in my band Robbie uh thought my dad whose name is John uh he thought his name was Dale. <laughs> and there's like no your dad does re- look no- like a dale <laughs> and there's no reason for that dale martin <laughs> dale martin in the tijuana brass <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that for a while he was actually in a uh like just kind of a oh, corporate gig we'll play like classic rock covers band called uh uh kathleen sm- turner overdrive <laughs> called smoking joe and the henchman <laughs> and isn't that just the best name for like a corporate outing band ever See if he if his real name was Dale Martin, then it, it should have been Chip and Dale's Rock Extravaganza. <laughs> Chip and Dale's Rock and Roll Express. Uh. Chip and Dale's Rock and Roll Rangers. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so if they Goldblum, rescue you when there's rock and roll danger. If if Goldblum is the Nils Lofgren, um, who is by the way Nils Lofgren is my favorite member of the E Street Band and. A kid we went to college with was obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. And I was like, me too. I've seen him in concert like five times. And he goes, oh, yeah? Who's your favorite member? And I go, Nils Lofgren. And he's like, you don't have to be a dick. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, well, you and then fix- he just walked away. I was like, but he is. 
I mean, you got to figure that anyone who's big into Bruce Springsteen is going to be like, who's your favorite? Little uh, Stevie, Clarence. Clarence, or someone like that. <laughs> Not so many people are like Max Weinberg. Wein- yeah, Max Weinberg in the Not Ready for Cable <laughs> band or what, whatever, late night cable band. Right. Um, but yeah, so that that would make sense for me that, that you know, the Nils Lafgren would be Goldblum and he would be my favorite because he is my favorite member of the Hong Kong Cavalier. Him and Pinky Carruthers. Because Pinky Carruthers... He's the like, guy with the Kangol hat, right? He's the one with the Kangol hat or the fedora. He's the one who stands guard at the, the thing when uh, when John Parker shows up. He's like, oh, hello there. He's like, what? Well, you got it. He's the one who you said sounded like Joel Hodgson. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Did you come to deliver a package or something? Come on, man. You shouldn't do that, guy. Don't deliver alien packages, man. And Joel Hodgson as Pinky Carruthers. But yeah, that's that's oh. all of the Hong Kong Cavalier. And then Dr. Uh, Dr. Yahama, who right. is the mentor. The guy I thought was uh, Buckaroo Banzai's dad. <laughs> I am not Buckaroo Banzai's dad. Wait, where where did your accent go? Um, Look at that. So the whole premise is they discover this this whole trap door through time and in in space i guess and uh john lithgow as dr emilio lazardo um who was a failed physicist who worked with dr yoshida yamana buck Rubanzai's dad <laughs> um he he went crazy and he um lives in a mental institution because he saw some things. It's <laughs> like if you've seen, uh, if you've ever seen Gravity Falls, like that's basic. Like it's basically the He's same Fiddleford thing. Fiddleford McGuckin. Yeah, it's the same thing that happens to Fiddleford McGuckin to McGuckin after he goes through like the portal. What he sees behind there just drives him completely mad. I think that's where Alex Hirsch got that from. Like that, it would, it would not. That would not surprise me. me. That show has pulled so many like obscure like film geek comic book geek like music geek kind of references i'm gonna tweet i'm gonna have roger's bagel basket tweet at at alex hirsch and see if i can get an answer to that because that would that would be amazing that would be um so you pointed out to remember his memories he has to put like a uh steel wool like brush (laughs) on top of his tongue and electrocute himself yeah most people would just you know use their brains to access their memories are we to sure are we sure this is not a david lynch movie this feels like it am i wrong i mean it's certainly got enough goopy parts in it that it could be a david lynch film i mean kyle mclaughlin would easily be buck rubanzai if david lynch really made this and laura dern would be penny pretty and I mean, I think we're making w- the this, movie better. This would be around the time that Jack Nance was still alive, so he'd pop up somewhere too. Jack Nance would definitely be John Big Bootai. <laughs> That's who Christopher Lloyd plays. So you have John Lithgow and Christopher Lloyd, who were both like courted to play Doc Brown before Christopher Lloyd did it. That makes my mind explode. You have two potential Doc Browns in this movie, and then you have Vincent Chiavelli. <laughs> Was Vincent Chiavelli your favorite alien? Because, like, you got so excited every time he came on screen. Well, I mean, more than anything, I was just waiting for him to finally have a line or something like that. (laughs) And his first line that we actually hear is, Someday, huh? (laughs) Oh, man. Like, I I love this movie. This movie is... 
insane to the nth degree. And Peter Weller is actually... He's a very underrated actor, and he's actually really funny here with how deadpan he is. Yeah, because, like, the whole thing that made it so delightful and hilarious, the whole conceit that was just kind of the through line of the movie, is that everything, like, Buckaroo Banzai can just basically do everything. Hey, you can't do that? Why are you taking that motorcycle? Everything just falls into his lap. Like, of course he can take... Of course he can ride the motorcycle. Of course he can do brain surgery. Of course he knows how to fly the alien spacecraft. He's Buckaroo Banzai. My favorite is when you said... Of course he can jump in the air and grab a ladder on a helicopter. <laughs> uh, so, so when they figure out that uh, the the red aliens, the the Johns, as I like to call them, because you have John Big Bootie, John O'Connor, John Smallberries. <laughs> I I would love for it to be for Dan Hadea's character to be just John Dan Hadea. <laughs> What? I hope we ran out of names. What do you whoever, want? Whoever was coming up with these code names paid too much. And I definitely imagine, like, Christopher Lloyd was not... Christopher Lloyd's character was not happy with the code name John Big Booty. I don't know. He he doesn't really talk about this movie, but there are only two people who were in this movie that talk about this movie fondly. And let's see if you can figure out who they are. Me? Yes, you. Uh, no, the people at home, call in right now after this has been recorded three weeks before it was released. Yes, call in to this pre-recorded show, this instant. Right now. We'll be waiting. And our next caller is Lee Martin. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> Hi. Okay, um, Hi, it's me, Lee Martin. Just just because like the way you're framing it is like makes it seem like... Like, it's the kind of thing where, like, the least likely people are going to be excited about it. I'm going to say one of them is maybe Clancy Brown. He, I mean, he doesn't hate it, but no, he's not one of the two who Um, loves it. Probably wouldn't be Jeff Goldblum. No, he Uh, hates this movie. (laughs) Like, they did, they did him go through his career, and... Really, he hates this movie. I... He he wouldn't really talk about this or, like, Earth Girls are Easy. He's like, yeah, those were movies. Can we talk about the fly? I mean, I can understand if he wasn't so cool on it, but that just kind of blows my mind that he would just, like, outright hate a movie like this. I, I think it's just because his character was so goofy. Oh, yeah, that's true. He is he is he's, he's wearing he's one. wearing a Roy Rogers cowboy outfit throughout the entire Happy movie. Trails to Jeff <laughs> until we Jeff a Jeff. <laughs> okay, so it's not Jeff Goldblum, it's not Clancy Brown. Um, maybe Peter Weller. Peter Weller is number one. Oh yeah, he loves he, this movie. He that, loves that he got to do it. That kind of makes me a little happy. He thought it was that. so weird, but he got to play like an Indiana Jones guy right after Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. So he's like, yeah. Um, maybe uh, maybe probably wouldn't be Christopher Lloyd. No, Christopher Lloyd does not talk about this movie. <laughs> Um, I tried to talk when I met Christopher Lloyd. I was like, "Oh, I love Buckaroo Bonds." I was like, "Next question." <laughs> um, just because this is a left field question, Ellen Barkin. No, she doesn't talk about this movie. That doesn't surprise me. She didn't have that big of a role in it. It's she, Lithgow. She didn't, she didn't get to do much. It's Lithgow. Lithgow loves this movie. Oh, I, I should have guessed Lithgow. Lithgow absolutely loves this movie he he's like oh well we had a small budget when we were making um buckaroo bonsai and it was just 
wonderful. I got to work with my good friend Johnny Banks, Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks is in this movie. Right, you pointed that out. He's like he's, he's the he's, orderly who gets murdered. Yeah, John Lithgow murders Jonathan Banks in this movie. A John, a John on John crime, and no one cares. Yeah, so so um, when we meet Lithgow, his his. I my my favorite thing about doing this podcast now is it we don't care anymore when when people can hear us drinking so they always hear us with the ice and now that's just been a way to entice people I was like make a drinking game of it every time you hear a take a shot I tried to drink away drink from responsibly the, I tried please. to drink away from the microphone but my drink is just ice at this point so <laughs> um but I I was saying to you do you think that Jonathan Banks, he comes in, his first scene is he's taking away Lithgow's TV, and then the next scene he's watching that TV, he made up like some bullshit excuse. He's like, oh, it's uh, surging too much electricity, so I gotta take this. Do you think he just took it to be a dick? Yeah, but think, thinking about it now, I think what, what, what would have been one of the best things to happen is after, like, when John Lithgow is, like, packing up all of his stuff to... Like cut to cut out, and when he kills Jonathan Banks, like he just heads for the exit, then comes back for the TV and takes it with him. This is a mine. <laughs> His Italian accent is so amazingly offensive. It's pretty ridiculous. You and I were kept saying just different, like fake I mean, Italian, like did we foods. did we get to hear him actually talk before he gets like goes crazy and gets possessed and all that stuff because uh, for all i know like yeah he says maybe he just talked like a regular Italian. no 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 he said, so he's so he's always been he, he was always doing roberto benini like, <laughs> so he's always been mario brothers this whole time yes because he goes are we ready <laughs> a scusi a pizza pasta <laughs> a chef a boy a pizza flavored doritos <laughs> Mamma mia, Luigi, Mama Celeste, like that—that that they should have added just some sort of like pancetta <laughs> after everything he said. A Papa Gino's, a Laura. <laughs> he had a really nice room in the asylum too. He had the entire floor to himself. He had like a whole wing. <laughs> Probably because for him to just write on the walls with crayon to his heart's content. I'm not sure, but this looked exactly like the mental institution from um, uh, Twelve Monkeys. Like really? it looked exactly like the one where Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis are in. So was that like? I mean, was so you figure like that was shot in the same like soundstage the same, area? Oh, the same soundstage. Because Wouldn't have been in like an actual like asylum. Or this something was like not that. filmed in New Jersey. This was definitely filmed in L.A. Um, because at the end of the movie, when my favorite scene, when they do their little run and dance thing, that's in, that's in the little drainage yeah, area. Yeah, I've, de- I've definitely seen that drainage that, area before. It was in Last Action Hero, it was in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It was in the really, it was in like a bunch of stuff. I Drive. remember it. I remember it from this Key and Peele sketch with lots of explosions. Yep. It's definitely one of those kind of action movie locations. This was all filmed in L.A. on the cheapest sound stages possible. Yeah. Like, I I always thought that this movie was a canon film. Like, you know, the the film coming in canon. Like, did, a, like a Golan Globus film, something go, like that? Yeah, Golan Globus. Um, and then I found out that it wasn't. Like, W.D. Richter put in, like, 
him and Stanley Bergman put in like all of their money. <laughs> and because they're like, oh, it's going to be great because then we have the sequel. They tease the sequel. Um, Buckaroo Banzai will return and Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. And his villain was supposed to be like a Dr. Fu Manchu type of like he was supposed to have an Asian villain and they were going to get like uh, James Hong to do it. Oh, that would have been amazing. And that that's what... I genuinely hope that, like, if James Hong was a villain, like, I genuinely hope he had a lackey played by Sab Shimono. Well, what happened was that script that they wrote for it, the rumor is that that turned into Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. That, that um, what's his name, that John Carpenter just took that idea, the studio's like, you just want to... And just take... ran with it? Yeah, and just changed it. Well, that, that seems like a fair trade. And then you had James Hong as the villain in that. <laughs> I mean, so what did you like about this movie? Like, um, I mean, I certainly love. I mean, I got all kinds of joy out of just how ridiculous it is that just that Buckaroo Banzai can accomplish everything. That always delighted me. And every time there was every time there was a scene with like the whole group, like that's because they all had really good chemistry together, and. How no one seems to bat an eye to like, oh no, there's aliens, we gotta go fight them. I'm sure, I know exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about the interdimensional travel and stuff like that. I love the press conference scene where he just comes back in and he goes, invaders from blah blah blah, <laughs> from the 10th dimension, 8th dimension, planet 10. And the just the stuff that they do with such a straight face that is so weird, like when uh, the professor's like, Give me the give me the formula, and he just licks his hand and just statically electric. Like he basically tattoos him because he's pure, you know, electric energy, kinetic energy, and he just electrocutes it and he tattoos it. But then, like when you cut back to the professor at at the place, he does not have that tattooed on his head. I would have loved that. I would have loved for it to be like, Buckaroo, look what you did to my head. Yeah, no one questions anything, and that's always, that's always like the best. And like it's just like that part you just mentioned. Like, uh, give it to me. <laughs> okay, this makes sense. Bye. And I just loved how everyone's like, "Why aren't we practicing?" <laughs> like, like the uh, there's one scene where Goldblum is practicing on the piano, um, and the and rest everyone... of the guys are like solving quantum uh, quantum mechanics. <laughs> And ev- yeah, everyone's like talking over him with like equations and stuff like that. Like at some point they were just gonna be like, "Jersey, do you have to do that now? We're we're in a band. We have to practice." Well, I uh, I, uh, I I I don't know how to um, play the uh, a piano very well, so I just thought that I would um, <laughs> uh, practice it. We uh, uh, have a gig at the next. Um, uh, dingy club in uh, just next week. I have to practice. I am going to be uh, uh, very distracted by all those strippers at the Eager Beaver, and I need to focus. I'll uh, find a way. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our Goldblum off. Yep. <laughs> Goldblum in this movie is my is like my favorite Goldblum. He is my absolute favorite Goldblum because <laughs> he is the bloomiest before, like, I'm pretty sure this is what got him uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah? Because 
Spielberg loves this movie. Had uh, had Goldblum done like uh, you know the really big Goldblum eighties movies by that point? Like had he done the Big Chill and the Fly and that sort yeah. of stuff? Or were those? Oh no no no! Or he were did those the Big Chill? He didn't do the Fly. The Fly was it later. Okay. I think he was doing this. I think this came out around the same time that he was filming Vibes hmm. with um, Cindy Lauper. I don't know that one. Was that a big film? No, that movie tanked. That ah. I was. I suggested either that or this. Ah, okay. And you're like, I don't know what vibes is, but I don't want to watch it. <laughs> they play two psychics who solve crimes. I mean, that sounds pretty amazing. Now that you meant you didn't tell me that bit. And Peter Falk. I mean, is I'm in not. I'm not disappointed that we watched this instead, though. Peter Falk is in it. Oh boy. If I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> and you can tell because you're psychic. Um. Ellen Barkin is the only person that I never really liked in this movie. Like, I understand her character, but I just didn't feel like she was the right person. Well, I mean, she doesn't really get to do much except, like, you know... Baby bang! <laughs> like, she's, that's one of her lines. She's like, oh, I get it. It's like a planet within the planet. Like, like a big bang. A baby bang. Oh, I'm so dumb. Man, you really hate yourself. Oof. And she's pretty much there just to be like, oh, she's... I mean, it feels weird to say she's a token female character. Well, when when she goes in, when all of the Hong Kong Cavalier take her back to uh, Buckaroo's mansion, <laughs> this didn't feel like a mansion and felt like someone's house in the Hollywood Hills. Um, she goes to walk in with the rest of the Hong Kong Cavalier, and and New Jersey who was just added to the group is allowed to go in, and um, as I was calling her. Fake Marissa Tomei was like, whoa, 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 where would you think you're going? You and me and Marissa Tomei are going to hang out in the back. Does that other woman ever show up again? Uh, Yeah, she's like his cleaning lady. Like, she dates, like, Reno. I think it's Reno who she's dating. Hmm. She's like a groupie who lives with them. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of a bummer that Ellen Barkin is pretty much only there just to be, like, a means to, like, like, an, like a means to Buckaroo Banzai's end. Well, we when she have show... the Bechtel test at this point. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> um, she, she could have done a lot more, um, especially when she puts on his, we thought she was wearing a tablecloth. <laughs> we thought she was wearing... A t- tablecloth because she comes down. She's wearing Buckaroo's shirt, which she destroyed. She she takes off her Cindy Lauper dress and she puts on his white shirt, which she ties in the middle. And then we thought she was wearing a tablecloth, but it turns out that they were, you know, like samurai pants, kendo pants, kendo pants. Yeah. It took us the whole movie, and it wasn't even us who figured it out. It was my wife. It just looked like she was wearing, like, this weird tablecloth that she'd fashioned into this really floppy diaper or something like that. I thought she was wearing parachute pants. (laughs) MC Hammer came by. He nailed me a few times and then told me I could wear these. Also, who's MC Hammer? It's the 1980s. (laughs) That's right. He He wasn't rich, then broke yet. He was just broke. Um... I, oh. think he, I think he's back to rich now, just only kind of rich, because now he's like a mega church pastor now. Yeah. Pastor? Yeah, pretty much. He said pastor. But. Pff. Lee, are you drunk As again? I... Are you drunk on my podcast again? <laughs> I have to price it for pizza. <laughs> I, I loved. I'm okay. I loved everything about um, 
Peter Weller, like, his backstory. Like, to be... So, his character is supposed to be, like, 26, 27. But he has, like, five PhDs. <laughs> he has a recording contract. Is he... Are we to believe he was, like, a Doogie Hauser who, when he was 15, he was going to college and he got, like, five PhDs? You, you know what, uh, you know what Peter Weller is? He's amazing. Fr- he's Frank Grimes if he had made it. <laughs> I just realized that. This place is a palace. You guys are eating lobster? Because I'm, I'm I mean, Peter Weller. <laughs> I would not be surprised at this point if, like, there was just a scene of Buckaroo having lobsters for dinner. And every member of his band gets a lobster each. <laughs> uh, who was your favorite cavalier? My favorite cavalier, uh, probably Rawhide. Yeah, I hate how Rawhide dies. Like, yeah, he they take him out of the movie way too soon. Well, it's because like Clancy Brown was like, "Oh man, I die halfway through the movie," and they're like, "Don't worry, in the sequel, you're coming back as your twin brother Pecos." And then there's no sequel. There's no sequel. What a, what a bummer. Yeah, because Pecos, they keep teasing Pecos, who is on a mission in Tibet, which was supposed to lead to the the sequel. And you kept you kept making jokes that Jeff Goldblum the whole movie was just gonna call everyone Pecos. <laughs> we kept bringing up Pecos. Uh, you know, I thought we were gonna rehearse or something. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of all you guys. I love the comic books and the records. I know you. You're Pecos. Perfect Tom. Perfect Tommy. I'm sorry. You're, you're Pecos. Uh, Pecos in Tibet. Name's Reno. Reno. It's an honor. Oh, you it's must like, be are Pecos. You, are you Pecos? No, I'm Rawhide. Are you Pecos? No. We told I'm... you Pecos is in Tibet. Jesus Christ. I'm, per- I'm Perfect Tommy. Okay. What about this guy? Is he Pecos? Fucking son of a... <laughs> perfect Tommy... Get it together, New Jersey. They all dress like used car salesmen. <laughs> like, they're, they're all dressed like like different areas of used car salesmen. Like, Reno looks like the Las Vegas used car salesman. Rawhide looks like the guy you would see at, like... Not not Texas. You wouldn't see him at like a Texas dealership, but maybe like a Utah, or or a you know um, Laguna Beach used car salesman. And then like Goldblum is definitely the guy who does the gimmicks in New Jersey. Yeah. Like yeehaw, come down to New Jersey's car dealership. Bang bang, half we've got, off. We've got the best deals uh, in the West. Was it was that good? You're not going to include that in in the commercial, are you? <laughs> So come on down. <laughs> they just cut to it. Boy, howdy. What a deal. No money down. There's a snake in my hat. And and then, like, <laughs> then Buckaroo shows up. Oh, Pinky Carruthers would definitely be the Boston used car, <laughs> car salesman. Yeah. Hey. hey, man. Oh, I don't know, man. I guess I can give you $50,000 off. I mean, look, look at all these cars we got. Uh, this one, uh, I can't give, I can't Pinky, give, are you, give this uh, away. Pinky, are you on heroin again? Oh, uh, that's possible. And then Buckaroo is like, I'm a college professor. He always looks like, he always looks like the cool po- college professor. Like, like when a church gets a young pastor, I just was waiting for Buckaroo to come in and turn the chair around and be like, let's rap. <laughs> You know, you know what would I make this... I used to be the basis for The Pretenders. If you ever feel like jamming, by my office. <laughs> that is one of my favorite Simpsons quotes. I love you so much. Thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> and I used to be the basis for The Pretenders, if you ever feel like jamming. But no, I just pictured, like, Buckaroo coming in and be like, Penny, let's rap. And he just takes the chair and he puts it around. 
You know who would make this adventure even Sits better? On it like an overzealous waiter at IHOP. You know who would make this adventure even better? Jesus. <laughs> because no matter where you go, there you are. That's the most quoted line from this movie. That and Monkey Boy. <laughs> hey, 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 no. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Laugh for a while you can, monkey boy. I see you in hell, monkey boy. Um, but yeah, your face when he said, and remember, no matter where you go, there you are. You, you were like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> yeah, does that... Is that some weird Zen Cohen or something? Like, I, what is that? I, I don't know, but that was almost my, my yearbook quote. Really? Yeah. I went with, uh, some people like to achieve immortality through their work. I prefer to do it by not dying. What's that from? Uh, it's from Annie Hall. Oh, uh, okay. I forget what my yearbook quote was. I'll see you all in hell. You'll never take me alive. <laughs> Lee Martin. That was it. That was a quote. That's what it said for sure. <laughs> But the villain, the, the villains, so we talked about the Lone Ranger, and the villains in that movie, there, there were three villains, and they all weren't memorable, like, and in this, this one, there's, like, at least two villains, because there's John Lithgow, and then there is Christopher Lloyd, who just wants to get back home, and then, I guess, three, if you count Vincent Chevelli who wants to usurp Christopher Lloyd's power. There's a lot of henchmen, though. There are so many henchmen. Like Too many henchmen. It was kind of hard to tell, like, because they all had those little alien prosthetic faces and stuff. Yeah. Like, as... so many of them were dying left and right. It became hard to tell. Cause... Was that Dan Hedaya? Was that yeah. Dan Hedaya? Like, there was, legit a point, there was a legit point where I thought, like, oh, they killed Christopher Lloyd. But nope, that didn't come until later. Well, I always thought when Christopher Lloyd first shows up, he has a mask on. Which you guys pointed out was a mask that didn't mask. Like, I thought he was half alien there. And I was like, what the hell is going on the first time I saw this? I was like, why is he half alien? It took me till this viewing. And I've seen this movie a lot to realize, oh, he has a mask on. I feel so stupid. Uh, I just... I feel so dumb now because I've seen this movie so many times and, and Christopher Lloyd is wearing a mask and I thought he was half alien. It's like, like I don't know if you're familiar with the band Ghost. They just got big a while ago. They've started to get big a while ago. But in their first couple of years, like their singer wore like an old man mask that clearly was like, oh, this is a very floppy-faced man sort of thing. They got They got progressively better as they got more successful. Good. Just, we've been, I feel we've been spending all this time talking about the band and the villains. We haven't even gotten to Terrence Trent Darby yet. Oh, John Parker? <laughs> yes. He's not actually Terrence Trent Darby. No, that's Carl Lumley who plays him. And I, I, I kept calling him Terry Crews because, like, if they made this today, it would totally be Terry Crews. Or, I mean, like, if it was a really cool casting kind of thing, maybe it might be Hannibal Buress. I feel like Hannibal Buress would be... The first guy who dies. You think so? Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I, I feel like Terry Crews would be the like, oh, hello. Terry doesn't like that. <laughs> I, 
we'll 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 do our dream casting in a bit. So start thinking. Uh, but, okay. But how he quickly convinces them that like I'm a good alien took no time whatsoever. Right. Like like they're they're like oh my god there's these evil aliens there's an alien here kill him I mean he's on our side okay let him in. Why? What did you want to say about Terrence Trent Darby? <laughs> Besides, bon, dun, 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 he really did look like Terrence Trent. Darby. <laughs> he did. He Even the mustache did. too. I, I'm pretty sure Terrence Trent Darby would have worn one of those sparkly silver suits too. Hey guys, I'm gonna play that one song you know me by. <laughs> How does that go? Oh yeah. Oh man, we kept bringing that up throughout the screen. <laughs> yeah, my my favorite time that we brought that up is, hey, does this spaceship have any music? Hold on, let me check. God, I hate that song. <laughs> Buckaroo, you wrote out your song. So, so Terrence Trent Darby, our our John Parker. Yep. He. They tr- <laughs> the way he walks, he walks like like um, Cab Calloway doing many of the moocher. He's just like. Well, I mean, he walks normally. It's just every time he has to sneak around, he turns it into this little bunny hop. Here's the story of John the Parker. <laughs> like, cause and he's wiggling his fingers. <laughs> so I was like, why isn't he wearing? The Cab Calloway, like, white tuxedo. I mean, it's not like that silver suit makes him any less conspicuous. He, like, he should have been wearing a disco ball. <laughs> hey, what's that over there? Nothing. Because, like, the rest of them, him walking like that when they're sneaking into uh, the compound to to rescue uh, Penny, because Penny gets kidnapped... Buckaroo goes in to rescue her. He gets kidnapped, and then they go in to rescue him. And that's when John Parker is doing the whole Cab Calloway. And the rest of them are just, like, like hiding and, and, you know... Holding position and flanking and stuff like that. And it's not even John Parker who gets them caught. It's Perfect Tommy. Because <laughs> his, his uh, 1984 digital Casio yeah. watch goes off. His Zordon watch goes off. Dun, 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 dun. Something I just something that just occurred to me since you mentioned like the Cab Calloway suit. Um, all of the evil aliens, like they're perfectly, their disguises are perfectly fine. They've got like suits and like coats sh- and that sort of stuff. They so should why have been the ones dressed like used car sales? So why why does John Parker have the why does John Parker have the silver suit have the disco ball suit? Because their race is more advanced and, and inferior to the the red aliens. And also, those guys were on Earth for so long. Remember, they landed... Oh, right, right, that's true. Goldblum is the one who figures out who they really are. And he's like, they are aliens. Grover's Mills. Grover's Mills. Where have I uh, heard that before? Ah, 1938. War of the Worlds. I love when he figures it out. He's like, October 31st. 30 days past September, April, June, and November. Halloween. 1938. Orson Welles, War of the Worlds. It's like a Duck Colbert Code sort of line of thinking. Like, like, Goldblum is the newest addition, and he proves to be the most valuable. And that's why, because they've been on Earth for so long that they just 
assimilated and adapted where Terrence Trent Darby and the rest of the E Street band. <laughs> One guy has feathers on his neck. Like he's wearing a boa. Which, uh, like, which uh, member of the band was it that, like, like the most frequently just wore, like, a vest with nothing underneath That's it? That's perfect, Tommy. His... Okay. He looked so much like Sting from Dune, like, so I, frequently. I thought he looked like Billy Idol. Like, I mean... In the midnight hour! Well, I, I think Billy Idol was originally supposed to take... Might have been, like, up for that role to begin with. Probably. I, actually, it was Sting. Like, it, it was... But... Like Perfect Tommy, um, my friend Matt, who you know, I remember. Matt Sinclair. Yep, yeah, uh, he's been on the podcast. Every time, uh, I him and I would go to a midnight screening, and Perfect Tommy would show up not wearing a shirt. He would just yell in this theater, "All right!" <laughs> <laughs> and I would just be there with like my hand on my face, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> stop it!" <laughs> just every time, Perfect Tommy, woo. <laughs> hubba hubba it's like perfect Tommy shows up and a voice in the back of the crowd just goes take me back home yeah <laughs> with a rebel yell <laughs> but yeah um, perfect Tommy is he's supposed to be perfect but like his his solution is always to just abandon like like Ellen Barkin yeah. I mean, he, if he's so perfect, how come he's the one that screws up the plan with his Zordon watch? Well, he screws up quite a bit, and when he... Maybe it's an ironic nickname. When he goes with um, Buckaroo to the women's prison, there's a woman who goes, Hey, are you here for a conjugal visit? Oh, boy. Maybe it's an <laughs> ironic nickname. Like about it. <laughs> it. It's probably just an ironic nickname, like when you've got a really big guy that they call Tiny. He's supposed to be perfect because he's like, give her your jacket. And he goes, why? Because you're perfect. And he's like, you're right. What does that have to do with it? It's like, give her your jacket. Why? Because she needs a jacket. <laughs> Stop being a tool. <laughs> um, Or maybe it's one of those things where it's just like, guys, I want you to call me Perfect Tommy from now on. Okay, stale Jean. We're Damn not gonna, it! Come not, on! He just like whines so much. We're just like, guys, we've we've he's interrupted so many rehearsals now. We're so behind. Let's just humor him and call him Perfect Tommy, and so we could get a friggin' session done. Okay? Uh, yeah. What's that new song we're working on? Uh, that one that you mean the one that goes like da na 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 da na 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 da na. Our goal is to get that stuck in your head, people. Yep. And the flugelhorn. <laughs> uh, the villain's plan is not very good. Like, the, it doesn't make sense. Like, they do want to just go back. Some of them just want to go back home. And and Lord John Warfin, who is uh, John Lithgow's Lizardo, wants to rule them. So, like, like, it's very inconsistent. Like, the way I understood it, a bunch of them just wanted to get back home, but John Lithgow wanted to open up a, open up a portal to let more of them in so they could take over or something like that. Yeah, it's very if confusing. If I'm understanding it. It's very confusing, but I honestly don't care because just the insanity that is going on. Like, the president is in his bed upside down because he had back surgery. And, and they're like, well... 
Uh, so the good aliens, the good aliens aren't that good either because they're like, if you don't help us, we're going to create World War Three because we're going to have the Soviets attack you. <laughs> you guys are dicks. <laughs> and his assistant, the president's assistant, is Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> oh, hello, president. <laughs> that thing about World War Three actually opens up a whole new plot hole. I didn't, I just came into my head. What? Because, like, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, like, John Parker looks like a walking disco ball and is not very conspicuous at all. But if they knew that, like, there was all kinds of tensions going on with the Soviet Union, then surely they would have had to have been paying some attention to the planet. At least enough to know, like, nobody dresses like, you know, like you're wearing a Tin Man suit or something like that, unless it's club night or something like that. Why are you dressed like Billy Ocean? (laughs) Get out of my dreams and into this brand new Civic. I uh, I just Also there's a guy selling sofas. Yeah, I was about to get to that. So so Buckaroo needs help when he goes to rescue the professor at first. We're bouncing all over the place. So they're like Blue Blazer alert. They're called the his helpers are called the Blue Blazers. Um and there's this little kid named Scooter Lindy, which as a as a guy named Scott who has the nickname Scooter with people. Please don't call me Scooter. I hate it so much. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, that kid would never be a Scooter. He'd be a Scotty or a Scott. <laughs> Just saying. Um or Skeeter. Hey, Doug! <laughs> but Scooter Lindy is like, Dad, Buckaroo needs our help. And this dad is like running a gas station slash used couch lot. <laughs> He's like, Buckaroo needs our help. I'll go get my helicopter that I have. Yes. Just once again playing into that whole thing. It's just like, you know, Buckaroo needs our help. I'm his friend that you're all familiar with who has the, who sells the couches out of a, Gas station lot. Yeah, because as soon I'll as... I'll get my helicopter that you're all aware of. Because as, as soon as they show up, Buckaroo, like, I thought that this is the first time that they were meeting them. Like, because Scooter's like, blue blazer number, blah, 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 Scooter. And then they show up and it's like, hey, it's Ca- it's Casper and, and, and Scooter. And his name is Casper Lindy. <laughs> Just saying. The so, names in this movie are amazing. So are the Blue Blazers supposed to be like just kind of like the sort of, you know, secret police kind of thing that he just has agents all over the world or are yeah. they like or are they like his band fan club or something like that? Yes. <laughs> yes to both of those? Yes. Okay, I accept this without question. <laughs> well, Buckaroo said it so, so we can take lives. Why did you have a gun? Cuz Buckaroo said so. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that Pretty much anything, now that I think of it, can be explained with just, like, because Buckaroo Bonsai. Like, uh, I, like why are you running off with my motorcycle? Because I'm Buckaroo Bonsai. Well, okay, oh, okay. then. I, there's why nothing I can do about that. Why didn't you take it sooner? Huh? Because um, I'm Buckaroo Bonsai. Damn, I guess that. He got me again. <laughs> Damn it, Buckaroo. <laughs> I mean, the way, they, the way they save the world is, like... So the Secretary of State, who was on their ass the entire time, you never know if he's helping them or if he's not the Secretary of State. And he's dressed like a security guard for some reason. (laughs) Yes, he is. Why isn't he dressed in, like, a suit, like an actual Secretary of State? Because Buckaroo Banzai said so. Uh, Okay, you got me there. Um, Hey, you have to pay for those groceries. No, I don't. Okay, you steal them. And, like, so... so Also, I'm taking your wife. 
<laughs> so they get in there, and um, Buckaroo has been tortured, and Penny is being like, they're trying to kill her with a slug? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I, I thought it was one of those things where it's just like, the really weird equivalent of like the laser from James Bond. Just like the slug is slowly going to reach you and it's gonna like eat your face once it gets close enough or something like that. Yeah, and because I I thought that was the same slug that like the bad aliens were using like to just kill people. Yeah, well that that's like the yeah Lithgow said you thought that the spider thingy that killed your Rahai friend was bad. This is gonna be a million times more painful. Ah ah ah! A one, a two, a three <laughs> penny pretties, three pizzas, three pastas. Ah ah ah! Rigatoni. <laughs> a pot of puttanesca. <laughs> and then they they just like easily solve this problem. Uh, John Parker and Buckaroo get into the the secret booby hatch of the ship. And they blow up Lazardo's ship, and then, as you pointed out, he deploys his parachute way too soon. <laughs> One thing I wanted to just point out real quick. I mean, presumably when they escape from that ship, that tinier version of the ship is supposed to be like an escape pod or something like that. Correct. But it has a laser strong enough to blow the ship up? Very counterproductive. Yes, that, yeah, a little bit. And, yeah, like you mentioned, he pulls the shoe way too early. <laughs> There's, uh, I'm up way too high. He's I, many thousands of miles above above the ground. I'm going to be here for a very long time. Maybe I should write a song while I do it. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to top... Oh, he does, though, because uh, the ending song, though... That was my that's that that's my ringtone. I love that. I love that so much. Oh yeah. When they were shooting that scene, the guy who composed it, uh, Michael Bodecker, who also did the music for uh, Milo and Otis and Moonraker. I love that he did the music for that and Milo and Otis because they're both such they're both soundtracks clearly heavy with like well outdated 1980s bloopy keyboard sounding sort of stuff well he didn't have the the end music written so he's like it's gonna be the same you know pace as uptown girl so as they're doing this i guess uh wd richter is just playing uptown girl she's been living in a i wish someone like cut that together with the with the original one i mean this movie is so influential on society like so many things have been based ready player one has a huge influence of buckaroo bonsai but even life aquatic like the entire premise of life aquatic is based. yeah on i didn't know that like life aquatic was basically copying the end credits thing from that until you pointed it out and it made so much sense once you pointed it out to me and the whole you know uh zisu like red hats is supposed to be like the blue blazers like like, a lot of Zisu is based on Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, even even the fact that that he is not only a TV personality, but he's also a scientist and an oceanographer, like, that is Buckaroo Banzai. So, which is weird that that's one of my least favorite 
Wes Anderson films, and this is one of my favorite movies. We never got to see uh, Steve Zissou's band, though. Oh, I would have loved that. <laughs> well, that we did, because it's just so George. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, now that I think of it, the soundtrack, like the original soundtrack to uh, Steve Zissou, Mark Mothersbaugh thing, isn't that far removed from the one from Buckaroo Banzai. It really isn't. <coughs> and, and like Mothersbaugh with Devo did that type of music. So. Yeah, that very quirky, synthy sounding sort of stuff. I mean, his soundtrack to Nick and Nora is very similar to this, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I haven't seen Nick and Nora. It's it's very synthy. Hmm. Um, so, I... I, I I don't want to badmouth any. I don't want to point out the flaws, even though there are a ton of flaws. Like, they still never explain why he goes from being New Jersey to just wearing uh, wearing the cowboy outfit as New Jersey to being, like, wearing <laughs> essentially what Buckaroo Banzai is wearing. They never explain that, but it's Goldblum, so they're like, you like him. I mean... You don't really need an explanation when it's Jeff Goldblum, because the presumption is just, you know, Jeff Goldblum must know what he's doing, so why wouldn't we just why wouldn't we just go along with it? Why wouldn't we just trust that Goldblum has all of our best interests in heart? Goldblum, did you see Isle of Dogs? Uh, yeah, I saw Isle of Dogs he's, a couple weeks he's ago. He's my favorite character in Isle of Dogs. Me, me too, and, and not just because he's a husky, which I, I love huskies. It, it's because he's like... People just like telling me things. <laughs> like he's so gold bloomy. I think this in Jurassic Park and uh, Ragnarok, he's like the most gold bloomy. <laughs> like touching quickly on Isle of Dogs, um, when that movie was just in its like early advertising sort of stages, there's like a YouTube video released of like each of the actors introducing their characters. And, uh, like, everyone is, like, you know, Bill Murray's just like, oh, he's a very loyal sort of dog and all that kind of stuff. Brian Cranston's like, yeah, he's a fighter. And then it gets to Jeff Goldblum, and it's just like, so, I na- my character was named Duke, and what's that like? Huh? Huh? Duke Ellington, who did ba 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 da 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 ba ba da just rambling about jazz music. He blooms it up. Of, instead of talking about his character. <laughs> Jeff, are you on Quaaludes again? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. <laughs> so, if you were to like make this today, because they were going to do an Amazon TV show, um, who would you cast? Uh, why don't you do yours first? Because you're better versed in like act, in like film actors well, I, than I, I am. I know they're going to do, like, if you don't cast an Asian actor as Buckaroo Banzai, they're going to make a big stink. So why Let, Let's you... just go with them character by character, because I'm probably going to forget a couple names again. Okay, so I'll do my Buckaroo, you do your Buckaroo. Right. My Buckaroo is an actor who always gets mistaken for being half American, half, you know, Asian. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> that, okay. Um, let's see. My Buckaroo... Uh, it was between him and David Tennant for me. I mean, you know what? I'm going to go with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, too, because that, now that you mention it, that seems like a really good pick it, for that. It's perfect. <coughs> he, uh, let's go with Rawhide. Rawhide. Um, just to, like, just to like really throw the curve off, for Rawhide, I'm going to say Steve Agee. That's not a bad choice, actually. Um, I was going to go with Batista, Dave Batista. Oh, that would have been a good choice, too. Yeah. Because, uh, like, no matter who you pick, Rawhide definitely seems like the bruiser of the group. So you got to pick, like, a big, 
like a big burly kind of actor, but not like, you know, The Rock or someone like that. Because The Rock would just be, it would be all about him. Yeah. Uh, New Jersey. Someone who can help carry New Jersey. Gonna, uh, <laughs> I would just go with Goldblum. Yes, keep Goldblum. There's no reason oh, to get no, rid of no, Goldblum. no, 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 no. Nick Kroll. Because he <laughs> That's pl- a pretty good, that's a pretty pl- good alternate. He played, he played Goldblum's son. On, I mean, uh, the league. that's a pretty good alternate one, but at the same time, I feel like Kroll has a tendency to play things up a little too broadly, too True. highly, so, you know what, I'm still gonna stick with Goldblum, even though Kroll is pretty good, like, I don't think he can do better than Gold than the real deal. Uh, Reno. Reno, um, I don't really remember much about Reno, he was just kind of one of the other guys to me. Mm-hmm. So maybe just like a really solid character actory kind of guy who can like kind of sort of like who would you pick? John Barenthal. Who's John Barenthal? Uh Shane from The Walking Dead. He's the Punisher on The Punisher. He mm. was in um Wolf of Wall Street. He was the his friend who was the best salesman, the one who went to jail for him. Okay. And He's uh, been in like everything. If I'll show you a picture of him afterwards. Hmm. Um, he also has that look. Or Ralph Macchio. <laughs> um, just to like throw a curveball, I'm going to say Richard Ayoade. <gasps> just, oh, to re- so good. just to really like, you know, drive home that like, this is like, this is a new cast. This is really going to like, g- change things up. I was going to pick him to be my John Parker. Oh, that would have, that actually would have been really, really good. Yeah, either I was going to pick him because, you know, you would probably think I was going to pick Terry Crews, but John Parker, Richard Iowati for me. Hmm. Uh, what, who's next? John Parker. Oh, John Parker. Um, I'm going to say Lakeith Stanfield. Fuck, that is... God damn, that's a really good one. Mostly because, like, Get I... Out. Mostly because, more than anything, it's mostly because I have, uh... I have Sorry to Bother You on my mind a lot. I want to see that so Me bad. too, but they're not, they don't seem to be showing it in New Next England week. right now. Next, Next week. week? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, so when this finally comes out, it will already be playing. Um, if, if not, like Keith Stanfield, my other choice is uh, David Diggs. That's also a good one. That's a good one, too. I'm sticking with Richard Iowati. Okay. Um, <laughs> Pinky Carruthers. Pinky Carruthers. Hmm. Good question. Uh, who would you pick? Patton Oswalt. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I hey, mean, no, you can't. No, <laughs> stop. Um, Patton Oswalt is a good one, but I think I'm just gonna try to stick to ones that aren't gonna like overshadow since they're not that big a character. I'm gonna say. Uh, well, he's a bigger character in the actual comics that they make of this. Okay, that's true. Like they all have um, their moments. They all get their own storylines. And I'm that... gonna say uh, John Gabrus. Not bad. Not bad. Mm. And then Perfect Tommy. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't have to explain who that was to you. No, I love John Gabers. Perfect Tommy. Perfect Tommy. Uh, Perfect Tommy. That could probably stand to be like a bigger name actor. Yeah. Um, Maybe Glenn Howerton? Glenn Howerton's not bad. Um, I would I would probably go with, like, if we're sticking with the actual charisma with with joseph gordon levitt as buckery bonsai i would go with channing tatum who is his best friend in real life so mm. so and you also need that guy who's ripped 
who hmm. the girls are going to fawn over. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Penny now I'm, Pretty. Now, now I'm kind of wondering if I want to change mine. Oh, keep it. Uh, yeah, okay, Glenn Howerton still. Penny Pretty. Penny Pretty. Who was Penny Pretty? The only woman in this movie, Ellen Barkin. Oh, right. I can't believe I forgot her name. So, okay. uh, Penny Pretty. Uh, uh, who would you pick? This one, I'd probably go with, like, Rachel McAdams. Hmm. Go with either Rachel McAdams or, um, uh, God, what's her name from, um, uh, How I Met Your Mother, Kobe Smolders. Mm. Or you could easily go with, like, a Blake Lively hmm. type, like, uh, one of those three actresses. How do actually. you feel about Malin Ackerman? I like Malin Ackerman. We talked about her uh, for Rock of Ages because she's... <laughs> awful in that movie like she's wasted and she's not like an awful actress like for the longest time i thought she was because the only thing i'd seen her in was Watchmen. and then no she's good in the final girls and then you see her in like children's hospital or something it was like oh she has amazing comedic timing i was wrong this whole time um and our villains who would you cast as lizardo as lizardo um you know what just because i thought it was him for a bit peter mcnichol <laughs> mcnichol i mean i don't know if he might be too old by this point but i could yeah. totally see him just getting super crazy like that i i would um i would definitely go with probably i would go with bill Hader. oh yeah that seems like a really good pick i'd go with bill Hader, mm. and then uh i guess john big boot because <laughs> john it- big booty christopher lloyd's character yeah Hmm. Let's uh just throw another curveball out here. Paul F. Tompkins. That's weird because I was going with Jason Manzukis. Really? That yeah. seems like a really good pick too. Yeah, I was like, those are really good. You know what? Just because you said that, uh in the Vincent Chevalier Civ- role, I think I want to do Jason Manzukis now right. and just give him like a bigger role because Vince Chevalier doesn't really get to do much at all. Well then, um. <laughs> I'm going to go with Paul F. Tompkins and the Vincent Chevalier <laughs> and just do a reverse. Like, oh, that's great. <laughs> hey, what? No. Um, yeah, so what? as a whole, what are your final impressions of this movie as we wrap up? Um, like, we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about it, and there are so many parts of it that still baffle and bewilder me. But... At the same time, it's just so charming and endearing and delightful. I can't believe and the over the, at the and box over office. the top that, like, I can't really think of any like even like you know the little bits of plot holes that we were thinking don't matter, just because so much of it just comes together in such an amazingly clunky and psychotic psychotic way. But how did it tank? Like, I don't understand. Like, they, I mean, within the span of like three weeks leading up to it, they released. Uh, Ghostbusters and Gremlins and Temple of Doom, Temple of Doom and Beverly Hills Cop and um, what you call it, um, Purple Rain, and then this opened the same day as Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. It was all just—I mean, that's just about the worst possible timing that they could have. And like the studio pushed it because they were afraid of this, so they're like, "We'll push it till the end of August." And no one could have seen Ghostbusters being as huge as it was. Like, mm. like this movie, it, it's so unfortunate. I feel like if they released this in, like, February, 
it probably would have done better and we would have got the sequel. Mm. And, like, MGM was so mad that they put in all this money for, like, distributing it because it was independently made, but MGM ended up picking it up because mm. they're like, oh, we're going to have our own series. And it's unfortunate. Peter Weller's great. Goldblum is fantastic. Clancy Brown. Like, this cast is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I just thought of something. Uh, getting back to our, like, dream cast. Uh, who would you get to direct? Oh, uh, that's easy. Joss Whedon. I was thinking Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah. Screw Joss Whedon. <laughs> Edgar Wright, absolutely. No, wait. This is probably going to sound a bit weird, but Edgar Wright co-directing with Jim Jarmusch. Does that sound a little too weird? I would go with Edgar Wright co-directing with David Lynch. Okay, that makes more sense, actually. Oh, hi. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Buckaroo, play that song again that goes do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Na-na-na-na-na-na. I mean... I do music, too, sometimes. And transcendental meditation. Would you like to hear a song? No, no, no. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Polly on the football field. So- someone, oh, cut, someone cut David's mic. <laughs> Take that away from him. Like, I mean, if they made this in the 80s and David Lynch... Was I right by saying it's if Pee-wee's Playhouse was directed by... Oh, absolutely. Because Goldblum is Cowboy Curtis. (laughs) Absolutely. And maybe a little less... Maybe a lot less, like, directly geared towards children. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, Pee-wee's Playhouse was directed at children, but in the most twisted-ass way possible. Just... Well, I don't get that same kind of, like, it's for kids kind of vibe from Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, this was, like, the first, um... I mean, it's not explicitly, like, an adult film, necessarily, but... This film was way above its time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like this felt like an Avengers movie. Like, there is a great video essay, um, that is done by, uh, one of the guys who used to be on Channel Awesome, um, that's not on anymore... He was, like, the the pretentious film critic guy. Not the cinema snob, the other guy. But he does a film great... Film brain? Yeah, I think that's who it is. I'll, I'll put the link in with this. But he does a great video essay on Buckaroo Banzai. And mm. it's... This movie is just so iconic. I have... In, in my bedroom, I have a poster, a frame poster of this movie. I love it. I've seen it so many times. And, like... It, it's so sad. This and, like, Last Action Hero, to me, like, on the list of the films that we've been talking about this summer, they're the ones that don't deserve to have tanked. Hmm. And it's it's unfortunate how fickle the box office is, because who would have thought that, like, The Hangover would have been a huge film, and a film like this would have tanked? Right. Or a film like um, Nerve... That tanked, which was supposed to be, if they didn't put as much effort into the PR campaign, that would have made its budget back and would have been successful. But, but they, PR plays a huge factor. They didn't advertise this movie enough. Mm. So this is the one example where the budget was under-advertised. And, and I feel like if they advertise this more at the right audience, because like, this was around, you know... You got Gremlins, you got movies like Goonies coming out. You have this teen 
tween kid audience who would love a movie like this. Like, Temple of Doom came out in May. This came out in August. Those kids are already there. They're they're ready for a new type of Indiana Jones, and this was your guy, and you screwed up. Yeah, the audience was there. You just had to put in, like, the right amount of effort to reach them. And I guess that wasn't done. They sent out posters in theaters, and then, like, the theaters are like, oh, I don't know, this isn't going to do well, and then they didn't pay for it to come. Oh, so, like, the movie theaters are every bit as implicit as, yeah. like, the marketing department in screwing this up. Absolutely. Ah, so how many that's bagels? That's a shame. Uh, I've been on this four times. I should know how the rating system works. 13 bagels is good. One bagel is bad. Or zero um, bagels is bad. Then I'm going to say I leave, like, 13 bagels out or 13 bagels in is good. <laughs> out of a baker's dozen, how many are you taking out in... Whatever stays in is the good number. Whatever stays in is the good number. I'm uh, I'm only taking one out because, uh, like... Wow. I'm only taking one out because for all of, like, just, just... You, you know what? Actually, I'm going to take half a bagel out. Holy shit. Because I, for I all... thought you were going to hate this movie. No, I, I mean... I truly did. And really, like, that half bagel is only to just sort of acknowledge yes there are some incredibly fucked up things about this film and there are some complete and there are some plot holes and stuff but it's such a minor thing that it barely detracts from the movie and this was just an absolute delight i i'm taking out one so you have 12 and a half i have 12 just because uh it's the the half goes to how sloppy the movie is and how crazy it is and the other half goes to the fact that they underplay like half a bagel is t- taken out because of MGM like not distributing it enough, not oh. doing enough work. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm taking my other half out. So we're both at twelve. Yeah, hand holding club. <laughs> Lee, if you want to keep this professional, please take your hand off my thigh. Never. So Lee, uh, do you want to do you want to plug? Uh, sure. Go check out my podcast I do with my friend uh, Patrick Barry. It's called Jukebox Zeros, where uh, we review and like do retrospectives on albums that people didn't really like so much. I was on. You yep, you did uh, David Bowie tonight, which I would like. That's one episode that I would recommend you check out if you wanna, you know, just sort of really get into the sh- series because I genuinely think that's one of our funniest episodes. One another one you should check out from that is uh, the Limp Biscuit one. Yeah, that was with Chris Brown. Yeah, that that's another one. That's, that's probably our one. other really funny one. And it was our most popular one until we did, like, the Tori Amos album, Why Can't Tori Read? Yeah, I saw that. And got a surprising amount, because I guess, like, they're rabid fans of that album. But yeah, go go check out Jukebox Zeroes, the next album we're going to be doing, which might be out by the time this uh, hits the internet. Uh, we're doing In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin, which was the last album that they did while all four members of the band were still alive. It's the one that has Fool in the Rain and uh, All of My Love. And definitely check that out if you're a fan of the show, because we have like a little surprise announcement at the end of it, too. Are you guys getting divorced? <laughs> Not this month. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you like this podcast, subscribe to it if you're not already subscribed. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Google Play. I have trouble saying Google Play. I need to do what Asif Mandiv did. Google in uh, the intern. Um, the internship. Uh, 
you can also SoundCloud and curlandonfilm.com backslash Writer's Bagel Basket. Like us on Twitter at Writer's Bagel Basket. Uh, no vowels, all vowels, no vowels. <laughs> you should have a jingle for that. No vowels, all vowels, no vowels. Bagel no basket. vowels, all vowels, no vowels again. <laughs> Thank you. And like us on Facebook. If you have a suggestion for a show or a movie for us to do, email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. So until next time, I am Scott Kerland. And I'm Lee Martin. Bye. Bye. Bye.